1: Did you win any money? No,
3: of course not. I can't play any games to save my life.
1: Did you lose any money?
3: I mean, yes, I lost $20 at the Sex in the City slot machine. Of
1: <laughs> Oh my god, I lost $20 at the Sex in the City slot machine too. <laughs> Welcome to the first Like a Virgin of 2023. I'm Rose Domu. I'm Fran Torado. How were your holidays? I I mean, I kind of know already, but I think you, um, your trials and tribulations should be shared <laughs> with the listeners. You know,
3: I honestly, I won't detail the, the saga that was trying to make Adele on Christmas Eve happen for Justin and I. But I will say it required planes, trains, automobiles, uh, cancellations, rebookings, entire flights, just not happening for us and ended up with uh, me and Justin getting in touch with a mutual friend of ours who knows Adele in order to see her on New Year's Eve, which we did. And it was So glorious. how was
1: Adele? Tell, tell me about
3: the show. I wish, I wish there were words that I could put to what it feels like to do the New Year's countdown with Adele. It makes perfect sense to me why she is one of the most if not the most universally beloved celebrities in, like, the culture, point blank, period, like, next to Tom Hanks and Dolly Parton. But, like, she really is perfect. How did she sound? Obviously, she sounds better than the recording, somehow. Like, she busts her gut. And beyond that... Her voice is so emotional and she's so expressive. And I'm like, how do you do this show over and over again? But this like mega cam that's on your face as you're performing is like the most emotive thing I've ever seen. Like it's as if you're performing it for the first time. Like she's so in her feelings when she performs. And she also is obviously amazing at crowd banter and did tons of it and has so much fun with it. And she cried. Oh, so she
1: does a lot of vamping and vamping. talking to the audience.
3: She, she goes into the audience. She vamps. She did all of her hits. Like, she cried while talking to the audience. Like, she's just herself. And she does it all without shoes on because she's got sciatica. And she's like, I'm sorry. I've got, I got real bad sciatica looks That's like, <laughs> that's like, um,
1: that's like uh, you know that saying where it's like, anything a man can do, a woman can do. And in heels, it's like... <laughs> Like Adele's like <laughs> not me, love. <laughs> not me. No, I'm barefoot. <laughs> yeah. Oh God.
3: It was. It was. It was gorgeous. I mean, like I feel. Like, I mean, a one glass of champagne did cost fifty dollars, but
1: <laughs> that's not surprising. <laughs> what were some of the standout songs she performed?
3: Okay, so I um just context for the virgins. Um, I am like not an OG Adele stan. Justin is very much so an OG Adele stan. I hopped onto the Adele train in her 30 era and have now gone back and started to love her previous catalog. And her, tw- her songs from 21 were the best songs. Like, she did Take It All, One and Only, and Someone Like You, obviously. And she did Rumor Has It and Rolling in the Deep and Set Fire the r- to the Rain and Don't You Remember, which are all bangers. Every single song on the album is such a fucking banger.
1: Did she do Hometown Glory?
3: I actually can't remember. I, like, blacked out for, like, some That's of it. That's one because... of my
1: Adele faves.
3: Oh, God. Yeah, what other what other Adele faves do you have?
1: I, I love uh, River Leah. Um, it's one of my favorite Adele songs because Charlene once performed it at this party that I used to throw. And as she lip-synced it, she pissed into our friend's ah. mouth.
3: Wow. I'm sure Adele would love that. She would would live. She would would love that. I honestly was, I went, we went to a a nightclub after we went to Piranha and I half expected her to be there because you know, she's known
1: for hitting up the the club after.
3: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah.
1: Yeah, Her and Jennifer Lawrence love the gays.
3: Oh, Oh my God. Um, anyways, long story short, it was perfect. What did you do for New Year's?
1: I um, rented a house in the Catskills with some friends, and we drove up there on Saturday. Made a really lovely dinner. Um, my friend's boyfriend cooked a ham, um, okay. which was delicious. Love a ham. And then we we watched Miley Cyrus, um, her little you know New Year's special, which was dumb. Um, oh it was. It
3: looked good.
1: No, I mean her <laughs> her, like, no, her, her performance with Dolly obviously was incredible, but Her
3: Paris performance was bad?
1: No, it, no, it wasn't her that was bad. It mm. was just the the whole thing mm. and all these musical acts who were not Miley Cyrus or Dolly Parton who mm. was like please get off the stage. <laughs> and um there were some little sketches that were cute, but there were just like a lot of commercials and we were watching it on Peacock and it was like Every commercial break was the same three commercials over and over again. It was excruciating. Yeah, but then we were just in the Catskills for, for two nights and did a lot of sitting by the fire. I took a lot of baths. We had a hot tub. It was really beautiful. Love a bath. And now And now it's January. Honestly. <laughs> now it is early January. We pretty much had like the opposite New Year's. Like I was
3: in Vegas. Have you ever been to Vegas?
1: I've been to Vegas a few times.
3: I had never really done Vegas before. And like, it is a theme park. Like it is. I, I, yeah. I, I, j- I joked that it was like Berlin for heterosexuals because it's kind of this like sin city that feels like it would be something culturally important to like heterosexual people where they can be like godless heathens. And like, but it's like, it was truly bizarre. Um, but I loved it. I love casinos. <laughs>
1: I so I'm I don't care about gambling. I yeah, think it's either. very du- so I think it's stupid. very dumb but every time I've gone to Vegas I've you know said like okay like I'll go waste yeah. $20 in a slot machine just yeah. for the experience of doing it mm-hmm. and once the money runs out I'm just like done I disengage mm-hmm. I don't care like I'm not I I don't I don't want to get lucky I'm you know even if I won money I would like I would stop once you know, once that $20 was up. Um,
3: Casinos are fascinating (laughs) and terrifying to me. Like, the fact that, like, you get free booze while you gamble and, like, that they, like, pump, like, like, pure oxygen into the casino, like, routinely to, like, keep you awake. And, like, the fact that, like... There are no clocks in any casinos, be- and they keep the lights on at the same time the whole day because they don't want you to like know what time of day it is, which is so fucked. It's, and,
1: it's gross. And some- I, I do like I do like to smoke a cigarette in a casino. Yes! I d- I did it the last time I was in Vegas. Indoor cigarettes, baby. I smoked a cigarette while playing the Sex in the City slot machine, and you know I loved that little fantasy. And then I went and saw Gaga. The girl behind me was smoking smoking a. Uh,
3: uh, a Capri is the, the, uh, the thin ones are the Capri. Oh my God. Yeah. Right? Caprice, Love a Capri yeah. with the sex in the city slot machine. Um, I also have to say like sex, uh casino security are so fucking scary. Like we, we had so much, Justin had so much fun playing blackjack with this, like one dealer and we were building, building a little bit of a rapport with her. And we were like, Oh, we have to go get cash. We'll be right back. And when we came back, they had reassigned her to a new table and she was gone because the manager had saw that we were, like, getting chummy with her. And so they were like, we don't want them to keep winning money. Like, she needs to be moved. Isn't that scary? That's evil. It's evil oh. and weird. And also, like... Also, I-
1: maybe she just didn't like you. Maybe <laughs> yeah. she was queerphobic <laughs> yeah. and she was yeah. like, I gotta <laughs> get out of here while they're gone. Yeah,
3: she's like, please reassign me. Oh, that's so funny. Um, yeah. She meant
1: the- and she meant the they both singular and plural.
3: Also, like casinos are like, I forgot that like casinos are like intentionally designed to be confusing, like labyrinthine and like covered, like hall of mirrors, like getting out in and out of every casino. And they're all connected, which is crazy. Like it was like solving a Swedish puzzle box. Like I really could not. Um, but we should go together. We would, I'm sure we would have I, an, an I'm not v-
1: going back to Vegas unless it's for a very good reason and I'm like, and I'm being flew it, out. It's for Katy Perry. <laughs> Yeah. Um, Well, that's. I'm so glad you had a good time at Adele. Thank you. So we both have seen two movies that we have very different takes on. Mm. And, you know, we're going to try a little experiment today. And I think instead of duking it out over our, you know, differing opinions, we're going to each talk about the things that we liked about these films, while the other... Person um, sits and judges silently, <laughs> yes. and maybe maybe one of us will convince the other one yeah. that that, that where they're wrong.
3: Yeah, maybe, but probably not.
1: <laughs> probably not. So probably the two not. films, the two films in question are Glass Onion, uh, a Knives Out mystery, and Roll Dolls Matilda the musical.
3: Arguably, the only two films that were released during the winter break. Like this is like they felt like a kind of slow. Rollout for it felt like streaming didn't really do that much releases.
1: I, I also think even theatrically there weren't yeah. a lot of big Christmas movies yeah, I this felt year. That. So if you haven't seen either of these, they're both available to stream on Netflix. Obviously, big spoilers for the movies. I can go first and mm-hmm. talk about Matilda. Okay. Um so I did mention Matilda briefly in our best of twenty twenty-two episode, which if you haven't listened to, go check out now. So I saw it a while ago and I loved it. You know, obviously I have a big place in my heart for the original Matilda. It was such an important movie to me as a kid. It was such an important book and I've never engaged with the musical at all. I've never seen it, didn't know any of the music. I was very, not even skeptical about it. I just was like almost a little bit apathetic Mm. going into it and i was shocked by how much i enjoyed it i thought it was such a fun movie and it was such a beautiful movie to look at Mm. i thought the production design was really incredible the choreography was incredible it looked expensive it looked like a big blockbuster musical Mm. that like was going to be released for christmas it was the kind of thing that like i think kids will love and like watch over and over again i thought the performances were incredible especially Lashawna lynch who plays miss honey she had me weeping anytime she had like a song or like a tender moment with matilda the, at the end of the movie when matilda runs into her arms and they hug i Even I lost it. Even thinking about it now, I'm like getting emotional. Um, I thought Emma Thompson was great. Um, I mean, those kids, those kids were dancing like their parent was standing behind the camera with a knife to their teddy bear's throat. Those kids were dancing like their birthday party was about to get canceled. They brought it all on the floor. And I like that it didn't try to like one for one be the original film it really established itself as its own separate thing Mm -hmm. and I think it's a story that like is um magical enough to have this new life breathed into it and exist as its own separate thing
3: is it my time to speak (laughs)
1: Am it's I- your time to it's to, did I convince you? Did I change your mind?
3: Honestly, you you kind of did. I I kind of have to agree with you on almost all of almost all of your points here. I think the production value was stunning. I thought LaShonda Lynch and Emma Thompson were sublime. I adored the allegiance to dolls, Matilda and how the story was darker and weirder and you know, had so much more um, kind of rolled Dahlian qualities to it. Um, And I, I felt like that was like kind of one of my favorite things about this adaptation. And I also think the kids' dance numbers were inarguably like, Awards worthy and so much fun to watch. I definitely had more fun watching this movie than my dear friend Justin, who adores the original Matilda, starring Bicon Mara Wilson. And I do love the Mara Wilson version, but like Justin, I don't think ever read the original Matilda, and so like doesn't know how the original movie is like really, really not in line with like how the book kind of sorts through um, Matilda's powers and all the different stuff. That said, I think that when children sing in groups, that it is unlistenable and uncanny and cloyingly sweet and like just really, really not fun. And I think that every single song in this musical just sounds like a kind of child marching band kind of like every single song is kind of like I'm an orphan and this is what I'm going to do here's why I'm sad and it's like it has this like bright like marching band beat to it and like every song sounded like that and it was so annoying and like I feel like I could have watched a version of this where there was no music in it or where the music was like So that's just Matilda? Yeah that's just Matilda (laughs) or where the, the music is like just better but I didn't think that the music created emotional stakes or added much to the performance. I thought LaShawna Lynch and I thought um, Emma Thompson's songs were awesome, and I thought their performance of it was great. But the majority of the musical is children singing, and they all sound haunted. And I, you are
1: the <laughs> Trunchbull. I, you am. are the Trunchbull. The
3: Trunchbull is trans. Period. Um, all. Okay, also Bruce Bogtrotter in that fat suit, mama. No, okay, yeah, the fat that suit was, was inappropriate. Un- unforgivable. That I'll give un- you that. I'll fra- give you that one. <laughs> yeah, you I'll can give me give that. Me that. One. Let's also, I think that you'll agree with me on this. Mr. and Mrs. Wormwood. Compared to the OG mama, just did not do it. They did not oh, do it. Oh, I at don't all. agree.
1: I don't agree with you. I could not. I loved them. I thought they were amazing. And their house was so beautiful.
3: I love their house. I love I did not think that their costuming was amazing, but I love the house. I love the production design of the whole movie. Um I just felt like because Danny DeVito and the other woman like just really fucking nail Rhea Perlman
1: the other yes. woman yes
3: I don't I don't know her oh I'm sorry God. I'm sorry but they, they I'm gonna
1: kill you I
3: know I know but they literally just...
1: you chose books I chose looks ah, that's yes! like literally you that's talking I, to me that's
3: what I'm saying <laughs> you chose books I chose looks Is like the, the it's sin. those performances are singed in our memories as childhood and so when you come in and you reboot a performance it's like you have to bring something new and all I saw was a watered-down version of what the previous iteration had done, and I wish they had just done something like what Emma Thompson did or what Lashana Lynch did, which were just, like, make completely different characters.
1: Okay, well, I don't agree, but I respect your point of view. Thank you, thank you.
3: Um, Okay, now we're moving on.
1: Yeah, let's talk about... Well, you talk about Glass Onion.
3: I must say, I did not like Knives Out, the original murder mystery that came out, and this is the sequel to Knives Out. I felt like Glass Onion was a substantially better movie on the casting level, on the writing level, on what it pulled off in the last third, in the twist, and in its primary performances. Janelle Monae sells this movie so hard and is such an incredible linchpin to, a Lashana Lynchpin? A, a Lashana Lynchpin to be the crucial beating heart and like I think main character of the franchise. It was so smart and so interesting. And she made Daniel Craig's character so much more fun to watch. The biggest issue that I had with like the original Knives Out had a lot to do with like I felt like how the movie thought Daniel Craig was the most interesting character, but he was like literally so boring and was just this like narrator cipher. And I felt like the way Daniel Craig's character was written for Glass Onion was so much more gay, funny, fun, like, made mistakes, like, was a fully-fledged character that was interesting and participating in the humanity around him. And I thought that that just, like, hooked me in so much further. And when I first started watching Glass Onion, I actually didn't, like, I felt like I wasn't going to like it because I think the hyper-contemporary, like, name-droppy humor is, like, very eye roll sometimes but by you know no spoilers but by the twist at the midpoint I was in Mama and I felt like it did something that was a lot better than what Knives Out did which was instead of being a whodunit right they tell you who did it in the first third of the movie and so the rest of the movie is a why done it and how done it and I think that that made Glass Onion I felt a really substantive and windy action movie that um, grounded itself in great casting, great performances, a super-duper silly but satisfying maximalist ending that had, I felt, brilliant thematic commentary that I thought was, I thought the commentary about like, you know, commentary about billionaires can be very eye-roll and when we have this like Jeff Bezosy kind of like CEO character that's been written to death, I was like, I don't know if I'm going to love this, but the way it kind of, Talked about disruption theory and the way it talked about the truth and like modes of justice were like exactly what a modern Who-Done It should be. Um and so yeah, I loved Glass Onion, surprisingly.
1: That's great. I'm so happy for you.
3: <laughs> Love. I thank you for supporting me, Rose.
1: I thought Kate Hudson was fabulous. <laughs> And that's it.
3: <laughs> <laughs> okay. Well, what did you not like about you know it? What? I think the virgins as my, will be... As my,
1: mother sa- as my mother told me, if you don't have anything nice to say, don't say anything at all. Well,
3: this is a podcast and I think the virgins will actually be like dying to hear why you didn't like it.
1: I just thought it was dumb. I liked the first movie so much better. I thought it was dumb. It's a completely different movie. It's a completely different movie. I do think it comes down to taste. I think the mystery of the first film is so much tighter. I thought it was so much more interesting. I liked the family dynamics of it. I thought this movie was dumb. I thought Janelle Monae was horrible. Um, I thought the (laughs) twists were stupid. I liked Cade Hudson and I liked Hugh Grant as Daniel Craig's uh, husband. And that's it.
3: Hugh Grant is Daniel Craig's husband. I forgot that cameo is so fast. Oh my God. All the cameos were so gaggy. I mean, two of them are literally dead, which was kind of whack.
1: Yeah. Um, well, this is apparently a thing that like Ryan Johnson, all these actors, like they, he, his films are <laughs> the last films they appear in. It Wait, happened, who else? It happened with Carrie Fisher, with- oh! Um, Star Wars. And it happened with um, Christopher Plummer and the first Knives Out. Oh! And now it's happened with Angela Lansbury. And Stephen uh,
3: Sondheim, I guess. So I have to say, like, I really hate, like, movies about billionaires. And I did not actually love, like, kind of the Googleplex setting of Glass Onion. And I feel like that's maybe some of what you were responding to at the end of the day, like it's mm. glass onion doesn't really. Okay. So maybe not glass onion doesn't really have the components of a movie. I usually enjoy, which is kind of why I was really surprised by it. But if you will indulge me on like what I liked about what the movie taught, it's like, it, 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 it actually, I felt had a really like incisive critique about what tech billionaires think disruption theory is and what someone like Janelle Monae thinks disruption theory is, right? And I felt like that was so smart because when billionaires and, you know, rich people and all these different, like, girl bosses become really rich by essentially adopting Ideas and organizing methods, and like, you know, being like woke or whatever, and using that to like climb to the top, they think that that's disruption when all they're doing is assimilating into capitalism and protecting, like, guarding themselves further and further from real people. But when Janelle Monet comes into this, like, whole debacle, her idea of what disruption is and how she kind of tears it all down is what true organizing disruption is. It's about destruction, like volatility. It's about demanding what is owed to you. And I felt like when there's a kind of critical mass at the end that um, I guess provides a path to justice that does not involve the police or the carceral system at all, I was like, that is like very radical. And I I honestly, I'm not the kind of girl to give Netflix credit, to give Rheon Johnson credit, to give big blockbusters like this credit. But like, I was just like, damn, like I really loved what the movie did with its like prospects of justice, even though it was really silly and maximalist at times.
1: I think that is and I'm not saying this in like a patronizing way I think that's a very generous reading of the film it is it's a very generous reading and like I I think it's really cool that you can look at that and and pick that out and like Yes, that is. Those are very good things for a mainstream movie to be yeah. saying. I don't know that I agree that that movie is saying those things, but I I do think it's it's lovely that you can like see that in that film.
3: I think it's about as generous of a reading as when I said that Taylor Swift's Karma, you know, mirrored Buddhist ideologies of karma. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Which I the, that's the thing is like that's what I that's what I like to do and I, I don't I don't I'm not here to give credit to the artist, but I'm here to give credit to how it was interpreted. And um, yeah,
1: listen. Stories are powerful. Stories, stories, are, st- stories, are, stories, stories are, so are so Stories are stories are so stories are so, so powerful. Stories um, Just like just like fairy tales, which is, which is what we're talking about today. Um, later in the episode, hope you stick around for that. Stories are so powerful. We need although, to sell although a although, hat. Fran, although Fran and I have decided, I think we've <laughs> said this. We are so over. <laughs> so we're so over media about the power of stories. I never <laughs> want to see that shit again.
3: Which that is kind of the lesson of Matilda when she's telling this fucking story about circus performers in like the most boring b ble- plot ever. Sorry, um, but we should sell a hat that
1: says stories are so powerful. <laughs> <laughs> we should. We should. Let us know if you w- if you would, you would buy, buy the a hat, hat that said stories are so powerful. Yeah, and tell
3: us what color what color you
1: think it should be. Yeah. Also, just tell us, like, slide into our DMs and tell us what merch you you want from us, because we definitely will be selling some merch this year. Me.
2: at purdueglobal.edu.
1: Once upon a time, there were two little dolls. (laughs) And they lived on two different sides of the same kingdom. Queendom. Because this -hmm. takes place in a matriarchy. Of Of course. One of them had dark hair... And one (laughs) one of them had red hair. Sometimes. Sometimes. Sometimes, Depending kind of on what time of year it was. The one with dark hair was... Loved to go to the ball. And the one Ooh. with red hair uh, did not anymore. Preferred to and stay I- at home. Preferred <laughs> 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 to stay at home. And um, the more um, hermit-like she became, uh, the more the evil in her heart festered. And Ooh. instead of you know kind of being a like happy, happy-go-lucky um, little girl, she became a witch. Um.
4: (laughs) And she
3: said, if my sister is out here bringing it to every ball... What if there were no balls?
1: Exactly. So and- she decided to place a curse on the kingdom. So no. <laughs> and it was called COVID nineteen. Okay, okay. <laughs> this is this is Shut spun up. out. Like, this, this is as far as we Spun go. out a little far. Um
3: wait, wait, you're saying that you as a witch created COVID nineteen so that we wouldn't have to go to parties <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Well I mean, you know, it's um it's <laughs> uh fairy tales are things that help us like like myths make us yeah. help us make sense mm-hmm. of the world around us. So yes, this is Yes, which
3: is why we're talking about it today. All about myth making in the kind of um fairy tale world, I guess.
1: Yeah, we you know have touched before on mythology, Greek mythology specifically, mm-hmm. um as one of as f- for both of us, you know, one of the things that like really um were very integral to our you know, childhood and formation of like what we liked culturally, and
3: and uh, not to mention it was one of the most liked episodes from the listeners, according to our listener survey. Oh my god, and also god, you're just, not like, going to keep bringing up
1: that damn survey.
3: No, no, no. I, that's all I was going to say. Um, that's all I wanted to say.
1: But <laughs> you know, in and I guess if we're thinking about you know the more Western canon, not that fairy tales are exclusive to the West obviously they're not of course, of course. Um, but we what we think about is you know the canon of fairy tales are very much sort of the the like I, I wouldn't say modern because they're like hundreds of years old but they're like the more modern equivalent of myths they are these you know like, Stories for children that, like, often teach lessons um, or, you know, a lot of fairy tales, like, appear in many different cultures. So they're sort of, like, the collective unconscious made conscious through... Um, a sort of fantastical story and you know in the world we live in fairy tales are because because um, the world is all about IP um, and fairy tales are public domain um, we live in a world where fairy tales are recycled rebooted um, retold reinterpreted time and time again and they are like some of the most universal stories we have.
3: Truly. And a lot of them, honestly, have not been, like, fully tapped, I feel. Like, like we know the ones that Disney did, but the way Disney does them is, like, pretty much completely, like, refreshed adaptation. Like, so much is erased from the original. And then there's also this, like, whole other terrain of fairy tales that have, like, never been touched because they're too dark or weird or, like, or, like American audiences wouldn't understand them, right? Um, what's your favorite fairy tale, Rose?
1: Hmm... That is, or maybe
3: one of if you like if the first one that comes to mind.
1: Well, I actually no, so I know what it is, and it's mm. I, you know, I think the the term fairy tale is is kind of a loose term, mm-hmm. but probably Bluebeard. Ooh, what happens in that one? Refresh me. So Bluebeard is about this woman who marries this guy and she, like, goes to his castle and he tells her there's this, like, specific room that she's not allowed into. And he's, like, there's this thing where he's, like, really, like, nice to her, but then also he's sometimes really mean to her. And then she eventually goes into the room and finds, like, the corpses of all his dead wives. Oh my Um,
0: god!
1: And um, this... So as we're talking about retellings, my my favorite retelling of of Bluebeard's wife is in the Angela Carter novella, The Bloody Chamber. It's one of my favorite books. Ooh. I love Angela wow. Carter. I'm in mean, Angela Carter. Stan, that's one of my favorites, and one of I think it's it's it is a, a tale that turns up in a lot. It hasn't had like a a like literal adaptation. But it's a kind of story that finds its way into a lot of media. It's like referenced in a lot of media. I, I remember season one of you kind of referenced Bluebeard a little bit, and it's it definitely is a motif that is visited a lot in in stories. Um, what's your favorite fairy tale? I feel like I
3: vaguely heard of Bluebeard like it's been like it's been mentioned or something in something that I watched. I was trying to Google real quick. But apparently there's a rumor that that Disney will return to hand-drawn animation with an adaptation of Bluebeard. That would
1: be uh, they would have to really sanitize it. I will say I also <laughs> did always really like the Snow Queen fairy tale which most famously is known as Frozen. Um Oh wait! There, the wait. Frozen is an adaptation
3: of a fairy tale. Yes,
1: Frozen is an adaptation what? of the Snow Queen, and originally, Elsa in Frozen was supposed to be much more explicitly the antagonist because the Snow Queen is the villain of the Snow Queen, and then you know they decided to make it about sisterhood, blah blah blah. Um, it's it's
3: still a gag to me that they called it frozen
1: like you know
3: they have this like these they have a whole generation of stories where it's like aladdin the little mermaid snow white like just like plain and simple like what the thing is and then and then they moved on and they were like tangled frozen brave like it's like these just these are just adjectives um anyways i don't even remember i've seen frozen once and i don't remember any of the plot all i remember is the ending frozen
1: is so good also frozen Two is really good i've
3: heard I've heard, I've heard, I've heard it. I've heard it slaps. Um, it's funny. See, I don't think I don't have the depth of knowledge on like non-adapted fairy tales that I think you have. Have I actually really want to read that Bluebeard adaptation? What's the author's name again?
1: Angela Carter. Virgins out there, if you've never read any Angela Carter, truly, please read the Bloody Chamber. Read Nights at the Circus. She is the diva doll herself. Love.
3: Yeah, I mean my my boring answer is Little Mermaid. I will always, always, always love that story. I will love the original version of that story that is like darker and like And gay.
1: Um Do you wanna do you want Do you wanna, yeah, do you wanna hear some tea spilled on the secret gay life yes, of please. Hans Christian Andersen?
3: Yes, please. So Yeah, I I mean I kind of know it, but I wanna hear So
1: it. we all know that the original, you know version of the little mermaid is much darker than mm-hmm. the disney version we all have seen um in the original story the little mermaid when mm-hmm. she trades her voice to the sea witch for legs every step she takes it feels like n- like knives are like right. being stabbed into her feet um, she at the end of the story is told by her sisters that if she kills the prince, well, the prince marries another woman. Like he's fully not in love with the Little Mermaid, and she's told that if she—that's when
3: the Little Mermaid is like, "I'm gonna be a lesbian now." <laughs> she's like, "I'm pivoting." Wait, actually, the reason that her feet feels like knives is because she's wearing you know, tabbies, she's putting on a fr- no, a fresh paradox. Maybe. <laughs> they have not been broken in yet. Okay, they have not been broken in, and she is dying.
1: Um. So she's told by her sisters that if she kills the prince and his wife that she will be able to become a mermaid again. Mm. But she refuses to do it, so she jumps into the ocean and kills herself and gets turned into sea foam. Right. And she like has to spend like a hundred years in purgatory before she can right. <laughs> before she can go to heaven because mermaids don't have souls. So anyway, Hans Christian Andersen was a huge fag, and The Little Mermaid (laughs) was actually a story that he wrote and sent to this guy who had spurned his gay advances.
3: His lover, his forbidden lover, and The Little Mermaid was his avatar, right? Yeah,
1: and he was just like being very cunty, and he sent the guy this story and was like, fuck you, I want to suck your dick and you won't let me. So here's this story about a mermaid who's walking on knives and kills herself.
3: Wow. Honestly, the way that gays, you know, you... Like, like when we watch something like Dynasty or Golden, Golden Girls, like the or like um, Sex and the City, right? Like, the way that gay men use, like, white women as, like, avatars for, like, their own love stories is just something that has spanned for centuries, except, you know... Um, Hans Christian Andersen was like, we're going to do it like on the interspecies level. Like, I'm a mermaid now. And it, the, does that make it kind of trans, maybe? Well, yeah, I mean, I uh,
1: mean all, uh, mermaids all mermaids are, all mermaids all, mermaids are all, trans. All mermaid stories are trans. Um, but yeah, exactly. yeah, I mean, all, I would say actually all mermaid stories are queer. And like, The Little Mermaid specifically is about, you know, um, transforming yourself for a forbidden love and having that love rejected. I mean, it's, you know, all, I mean, all fairy tales are queer in that they can all have some sort of like queerness plucked from them. Um, I, I
3: have to say, like I, my entry point into like fairy tales is like loose. Like I can't quite pin what it was, but I can say that like kind of adjacent to this genre, which was maybe my truest first entry point was the Fables of Aesop. Did you ever read the fables of Aesop? 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 You mean Not Aesop's the soap. fables? <laughs> Aesop's fables. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, Aesop's fables.
1: I... Aesop's
3: skincare's fables. It's like these rabbits and, like, you know, woodland creatures that, like, put on body balms. What What are,
1: are Aesop's fables? Can you name some of the, like, big hitters for me?
3: Okay, there's the tortoise and the hare.
1: Okay, yeah, of course. Uh,
3: we, we know her. We know her. There's the fox and the grapes there's fox and the, uh, the
1: town and country,
3: the Fox and the Grapes. Yeah. When the Fox is like, I want to, it's like, okay, the Fox and the Grapes, the story of the Fox. Is this and the not grapes, like the fox, fox and the
1: Hound, which is no, uh, no it's the first, the, saddest... the first Disney movie to ever make me cry. <laughs> the first but Disney movie the last.
3: to not <laughs> The first, the first, the first Disney movie to ever be like, death is real and you will experience it in your life. Actually, that was probably Bambi. Unless that came first, I don't
1: remember. Bambi did um, come first. Bambi's, like, one of the okay. oldest Disney movies.
3: <laughs> the OG. Um, you know, Town and Country Mouse. Um, there are things, like, I, I don't know, that basically, like, I don't even know if they were, like, religious. I think they were, like, developed in ancient – I think they were in ancient Greece. They were written in ancient Greece. But, like, they still had this, like, weird Christian appeal that, like, my dad loved. And so he would read Aesop's Fables – Long story short is, these fables are pretty boring. Like, they're very morally... Like, they're driven by morals. The
1: fables are boring, but the soap slaps.
3: The soap (laughs) slaps. uh, The soap slaps. But this is, like... Honestly, what I'm trying to say is, like, the watered-down, very sanitized, very, like, morality-conscious version of fairy tales that I grew up with and that were encouraged strongly. Well, because we
1: have all these different iterations of kind of the same thing. mm -hmm, You know, we have... mm -hmm. Fairy tales, which are, like, these specifically fantastical, like, bedtime stories that are, like, fabulous. Um, we have fables, which, like, are, like, truly, like, stories that are meant to teach lessons, specifically. Mm-hmm. And then we have folk tales, which are things like Paul Bunyan and, mm-hmm. you know... um, uh, like, right. like, sort of, um, like shared cultural, and like I think specifically, like national, like that have sort of like a geographic specificity of like things that like maybe were true, but have like sort of um, uh, transcended into legend, mm. and they all serve mm. different purposes.
3: God, I would love to like adapt one. Would you adapt Bluebeard, Bluebeard, if you could, or is there something else like in the kind of like fairy tale realm where you're like that, like really should be a movie?
1: Um, you you love the Swan Queen. I do. Th- I do love the Swan Princess, but the Swan Princess—that's
3: but- a fairy tale.
1: Yes, um The Swan Princess is a fairy tale and has, you know, it has been adapted many times into right. Swan Lake, um mm-hmm. and then Swan Lake into Black Swan. Um mm-hmm. there was the like incredible 90s um animated film the swan princess
3: so good which, Odette, oh,
1: oh my god I was so gagged every time she transformed into a swan and then back into a princess like I honey like the like way that the water like swirled up around her was so great and then
3: her Farrah Fawcett like blowout moment like, and
1: also the o- the so opening good. song about how she and the prince hated each other and then eventually fell in love so good Love um, story. And it had several um, direct to VHS sequels that were <laughs> not quite as good.
3: I don't even remember the first one. Maybe we're due for a rewatch here. Um, of the, What is it called? The Princess Swan? The Swan Princess.
1: The Swan Princess.
3: <laughs> the Swan Princess. I the fairy tales always
1: say. have the most obvious titles possible. It's like yes. the thing thing. Yes. The thing and Except the thing for, and the thing.
3: Unless it's Frozen. Or but tingled. but that's not
1: a that's not a fairy tale. That's a Disney well, that's a Disneyfied but movie.
3: But it's based on a, a fairy tale. But the fairy tale itself
1: know. is the Snow Queen, Re- the
3: or, Snow Queen,
1: or Rapunzel. Rapunzel, I never really cared too much about. What I did no. love was Rumble Stiltskin, because Rumble Stiltskin is fucking weird,
3: <laughs> weird, gross. Weird Weird, gross powerful
1: weird like on so many levels because it's like Mm -hmm. this bitch (laughs) her father is like bragging about how she can turn straw into gold and so he like gives her up to the king because he's been out just out here lying Um, And then she gets trapped in the castle and has to spin straw into gold. And then this weird little man shows up. And she promises him her firstborn child if he'll help her spin the straw into gold. And also, like, she basically is, is like, kidnapped and enslaved. And then they're like, wait, you're so good at turning straw into gold. We're going to marry you off to the prince. And you'll be the queen. And then you will rule over the kingdom that kidnapped and enslaved you. Um, It's just very strange. And then... like and also like
3: every adaptation of like Rapunzel, like Rumple like it, it he gets like very horny around riddle guessing. Like it's kind of like his kink is like the riddles or, or not the riddles, like the thing about guessing his name. You know where she has to guess his name, right? Well, yeah, that's, that's like, the uh, whole thing.
1: That's something I think that's like a a sort of recurring motif in a lot of fairy Slash tales. Kink. Um, is that names are powerful and also that often villains, um, ghouls, ghosts, demons, and stuff are always like kind of bound by these rules. And rules are very absolute in fairy tales. You know, there's like, Mm. they, they wouldn't function without them. It's like, sure Rumpelstiltskin when she guessed his name could have been like fuck you and then killed her but also it's kind of like his own hubris because it's not like she says his name and he like you know melts like the Wicked Witch of the West it's like she says his name and he gets so mad he's so pressed he's so plucked by it that he stomps into the floor and disappears
4: Me Save 30% on super-comfortable, machine-washable, and great-looking underwear that's perfect for periods and light bladder leaks
2: at purdueglobal.edu.
1: Did you ever watch the ABC television show Once Upon a Time?
3: No, but I've heard amazing things. Can you kind of uh, overview it for the virgins? Yeah,
1: I didn't watch much of it. I watched maybe the first two seasons. It's um uh, it's about, uh, like, literally every fairy tale coexisting, mm-hmm. um coexists in, like, this same, like, magical realm, and because of a curse by the evil queen, they're all transported to this, like, small northeastern town with no memories of their, you know, sort of magical selves, and... Mm-hmm. um Rumpelstil- are there goblins
3: like go- gobliny ghoulie characters that are really have really gross faces?
1: Well, there's Rumpelstiltskin who's like one of the okay. main antagonists and he oh, I see. he in the original like fairy tale world has a sort of creepy face and then in the normal world he's a pawn broker, he owns a pawn shop <laughs> and he's he's also as it turns out the beast in Beauty and the Beast and he's in love with oh. Belle who's played by um, the girl from Lost with the baby. Um, I'm looking... Who's playing the girl from Lost with the
3: baby. I'm looking, and I don't recognize any of the cast. But this is... But I feel like I have a vague memory of seeing commercials on, like, ABC or something. Well,
1: Jennifer Goodwin is Snow White, and Mm. um, her... I don't know. It's it, it's not worth going... Like, going into Once Upon a Time is not worth it. Because I know that there's a huge fan base around that show, but I didn't watch past two seasons. And they did, like, as the show went on, I just know from, like, cultural osmosis that they eventually brought in, like, literally every fairy tale. Like, Elsa from Frozen was in it. The Wicked Witch of the West was in it. It was, like, they they really just kind of... They took sort of the Kingdom Hearts approach to... yeah. Inclusion um, Say and that. diversity. <laughs>
3: <To> include <that>. <laughs> <laughs> D&I, D&I for Disney is, is actually just combining fairy tales. Um, you know what else does this um, that did actually permeate the culture that we must discuss, it must be discussed, was Shrek.
1: Right. Listen, Shrek, Shrek, is, Shrek is probably, was the culture. Shrek probably is like one of the first examples we have of like meta commentary on the Disneyfication of culture. I mean, that's what the whole first movie is really about. Like the the like kingdom of Duloc is it? That's what it's, it's called. Yeah, is literally like supposed to like. There's that sort of like small. It's a small world esque moment. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it's it's really like the deconstruction of of a fairy tale. That's what Trek is.
3: Yeah, because this preceded Enchanted, right? And this is, I thought it was after, but I'm Googling, and it's actually one year before Lilo and Stitch. And do you remember... The kind of like advertising campaign for Lilo and Stitch and how it like made fun of other Disney. Oh like, uh, yeah, I do. IP, I do vaguely remember that. Where yeah. like Stitch would come in and ruin like the banquet hall of the Beauty and the Beast or uh-huh. whatever. Like, but that like Shrek was like doing that before. Like, I mean, this is was that this was not Disney; it's DreamWorks. But yeah. it really was like breaking apart, like just like things that we love. Um, and it was genius. Like, it was so ahead of its time when it came out, I feel. Like, Shrek is, like, kind of a weird part of, like, meme culture now. Like, it's this thing that we, like, all kind of joke about because, like, he's so disgusting. And, like, talking about Shrek is kind of, like, it's has this weird, like, early aughts nostalgia attached to it that is, like, universally, like, recognized.
1: Yeah, there's a whole, like, Shrek core fashion yeah. movement. over like, core. Swamp core. I feel core. like...
3: Maybe once or twice a month in Brooklyn, someone does like a Shrek drag show or like a Shrek club night. Or like, Oh yeah, whatever. there was like, a Shrek, Shrek rave. Shrek always in the culture, yes. There was a Shrek, a Shrek rave, rave like
1: pretty recently, I think.
3: Very recently. There's like a meme of Shrek wearing these kind of like Balenciaga-esque like yes, sunglasses. Yes, I, I, I know the one. <laughs> you know I've the also one. seen
1: so much Shrek's dick so many times.
3: Rose, why why have you seen Treks?
1: Because I exist on the internet.
3: You're like how have you not seen Treks? Yeah. Um but you, Fiona, I mean Cameron Diaz, some of her best work. Listen.
1: I wouldn't say some of her best work, but you know, I mean, I'm happy <laughs> I because just because I think there's work that's better. but you know, I'm I'm happy if she was there. And yes, that is like it's the perfect subversion of a fairy tale, the damsel in distress. Like mm-hmm. the curse that's placed on her is like turns her into an ogre, but that's actually like what leads to her happily ever after in this very, you know, like smart, ugly beautiful yeah. way. <laughs> and the sequel, Shrek um... 2 is incredible. And oh, I think, my God. I think better than Shrek 1.
3: Well, you, do you just say that because of the fairy queen? The Ab What's the girl's name again?
1: Jennifer's, the lady who, Jennifer Saunders?
3: Thank you, Jennifer Saunders. Oh my yeah, Oh
1: god. Yeah. You need to learn these things, Fran. I...
3: I didn't watch... That's the Ab Fab woman, right?
1: Yes. Holding off her... I, hold, I never watch Ab Fab. Holding off her hero. Still not available to listen to on any streaming platform, which is... Wait, a, cr- a crime against humanity.
3: That's crazy. She's so amazing in that movie. God. Um... But yeah, it, it's, Shrek was the culture. My, my parents took me to that.
1: Oh, wow. Like we, you were we, were, we were allowed.
3: Yeah, we were allowed. And I, you know, the, some of those jokes are very, some of the, like, the, there's sex jokes in that. In the first one, kind of. And my parents just, like, pretended like they didn't exist.
1: Well, that's, <laughs> I mean, hoping that so, so, many, so many kids' movies. I think especially around that period in the early 2000s are when when there was this boom in mainstream kids entertainment, I think when they realized that they like had to start sneaking in jokes that the adults could appreciate mm-hmm. into kids movies, but also really around the time, like we were seeing so much, um, fairy tale remakes. And I think we, we will be forever just because like, as I said earlier, their public domain, like, they are. Everyone has this. They have this like universal like buy-in. We all have this like um, like connotation for them. Um, like what? Like one that I think of a lot. Also, from around that same time is Ella Enchanted, starring mm-hmm. Anne Hathaway, <gasps> based on the the book which i mean so formative honey l- listen the book was very important to me the film less so cuz it's it's like not good um but um for anyone who hasn't read it ella enchanted is like a kind of cinderella retelling in which um the cinderella in question ella has this um gift given to her by a fairy godmother that she must obey anything someone asks mm. of her and that's mm. what leads to her being a servant. Um, and she, you know, like falls in the, it, it like plays out like Cinderella. You don't, you don't need more than that. Um, but it's such a good, like, like, like middle grade book. And it was turned into a film starring Anne Hathaway. And um, I actually said recently the um, Taylor Swift's bejeweled video is very Ella enchanted core. <laughs>
3: It is. It is. Yeah. I actually rewatched *Ellen Chanted* on a plane recently, and I was like, "Wow, this movie is bad." But
1: but Anne Hathaway does a I, really great version really of good. of *Somebody to Love* in it.
3: <laughs> she does, and she's perfect for the role. I'm not gonna lie, she is. Um, and
1: I love the blonde British actress who plays one of her stepsisters, who like turns up in a lot of those kind of movies Mm. from the early 2000s, and also was in Netflix's A Series of Unfortunate Events TV show, Mm. and is so good. I don't know what her name is. It doesn't matter. One
3: of, like, my earliest memories of these kind of, like, adaptations that you're talking about that had to straddle adult audiences and jokes with, like, the fact that it's a kid's movie was aladdin based on you know one thousand and one nights and not a western fairy tale but um my mom like when we bought this like vhs tape we would just sit at home and watch it over and over again because there were like jokes for adults and kids and i know that like a lot of what like robin williams did with that role was like ad-libbed and like you know there's like stuff in there that's just like stuff that i would never ever understand as a child um but I mean damn did, did Aladdin win an Oscar? Or no, that was Beauty and the Beast. Beauty
1: and the Beast was the first animated film to ever be um nominated for an Oscar for best picture and is right. the reason why the best animated feature category was created. Oh, wow, I did not know that. Yeah. The more you know. Disney's changing the game. Um, you know, There are so many film adaptations of fairy tales. I also love book adaptations of fairy tales. And there have been so many great, um, especially short story collections um, over the years. Um, There's one short story collection that I, 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 I don't have a copy of it anymore. I don't know why, but I need to... To get a new one. Um, it's called My Mother She Killed Me, My Father He Ate Me. Um, that is definitely one that I recommend. Um, one of my favorite short story adaptations of a fairy tale that I believe I've mentioned on this podcast before is Snow Glass Apples by Neil Gaiman. Um, it's a mm. short story that he wrote, I think maybe back in the 90s, and it is a very, very dark retelling a Snow White in which Snow White is kind of a zombie vampire monster and the evil queen is actually the hero of the story there's I believe a oh I think I have it there's a um, a graphic novel um, adaptation of it that's Ooh. really beautiful. Um, I would definitely recommend that. Also, have you heard I mean you're not as like active on book talk as I am, Mm-mm, but have you not he- at all. have you heard of do you know who Sarah J. Mass is? No, no, tell me, tell me Okay. All right, strap in, virgins. So okay. This, so Sarah J. Mass writes in this like cross-section of like romance fantasy. Um, and she has this very popular series um, called A Court of Thorn and Roses. And the first book actually, like, is basically a Beauty and the Beast retelling. But then it becomes something else. Mm-hmm. Um, and it is, it's like, I I read most of the books earlier this year, like the end of last year. They're really bad. It's like the most, like, kind of pathetic... Self-insertion, like... um, Like... uh, Like, character X reader. Like, Mary Sue vibes. Like, there's this girl who gets kidnapped by a fairy lord and like he falls in love with her and then she gets turned into a fairy and it turns out she has the most incredible powers and like learns how to use them immediately and then there's this other fairy who falls in love with her and they're destined to be together and he's like a thousand years old and is in love with a 17 year old girl and it's just like oh it sounds like twilight (laughs) it 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 is it is twilight in a way Uh, uh. um I don't recommend reading it unless you are really bored, Uh, but, you know, go off if you do. (laughs)
3: Go off if you do. Um,
1: Okay, look, we would be remiss not to mention,
3: even though we've already discussed it on the pod, one of your favorite musicals of all time, which is Into the Woods, an amalgamation of multiple fairy tales... You know, we've chatted about it, but like, you know, walk the virgins through like how you feel about like this, what the, what this musical did for you when you first watched it.
1: Well, what I love about Into the Woods is that it uh, is a, a, much like some of the other things we've talked about is a musical that puts all of these different fairy tales together. Um, and the, you know, first half of Into the Woods is about like the, the the thing that is at the crux of every fairy tale, which is um, wishing for something. The musical both starts and ends with someone saying the words, I wish. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the the second act of the musical is about what happens after happily ever after, what happens after you get the thing that you want, Um, and you realize that you don't want it anymore or it doesn't make you happy or it just leads to a whole new set of problems. Um, and Into the Woods is, you know, tells that story in such a beautiful way. Into the Woods is also so much about the relationships between parrots and children. Um, you know, like the, the, I think most beautiful and like emotionally affecting song in the show is Children Will Listen, um which is also the the song that closes the show. Um, and it is, I think, Sondheim's most accessible work, probably because of the fairy tale of it all, because mm. these are characters who loom large in our cultural consciousness. And, and this is, I think, like the reason that all fairy tale retellings work on some level, is because you have that narrative shorthand of the reader or the watcher or the listener, whatever it is, Mm. already um, knowing so much through using these characters that you're able to use them to tell a much more effective story that way. And so, like, we, we already know that the, the things that these different characters symbolize like red, red Little Red Riding Hood and Jack and the Meanstalk are about straying from the path and like you know like not not like going looking for adventure because like you you just might find it and like it might kill you or like whatever um, and through through those stories they're then able to tell I guess like the you know like the next the the you know, those fairy tales are, like, the 101 lessons. And, like, mm. then Into the Woods is, like, okay, well, we're going to now teach What's the 202, the the 202 <laughs> lesson. Um, okay, or, like, loud. the 303, the 666 the, the six 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 lesson.
3: This is AP. This is pre, pre-stat tests. Yeah. Yes.
1: Me I really love fairy tales. I actually like—I don't know—maybe in some alt, in some like alternative world, I like, you know, um, like got my masters and I'm like a professor of like folklore or something. <laughs> LOL, folks. LOL, folklore by Taylor Swift. <laughs> I I, cur- I currently am wait, a professor of folklore. Wait, 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 wait.
3: There's a there's a jukebox musical adaptation of. Folk tales that is set to, the that music is set to folklore. folklore absolutely to, maybe it's folklore and evermore Maybe I, select songs from folklore
1: and. Evermore. oh i absolutely could see like a taylor swift jukebox musical where the first act is all folklore songs and the second act is all evermore songs
3: i mean listen she is already you know d- doing her directorial debut she's making her directorial debut soon um making a movie or whatever so maybe this is like project two you sh- and you're gonna write it <laughs>
1: No, she's gonna write it. She's, she's not, gonna. She's not she, handing creative control over.
3: She's gonna write it, quote unquote. Tree, um, pain, no, would, I, oh, Tree I, pain would.
1: Tree Pain would only need to do a very cursory Google search of me <laughs> to get me kicked off the project, or not <laughs> even. Not even in. Not kicked out of a meeting.
3: She's probably listening to this podcast right now. Yes, Tree um, Pain, we love you. <laughs> we love you. Um, okay, if I ever adapted something, I mean. I mean, obviously, I would want to do Little Mermaid, but like it's, it's already being done. And if like Sophia Coppola couldn't do her version, then like I probably can't do oh, it. So, like, I, I want
1: the Sophia Coppola <laughs> version.
3: I honestly think it would be boring. I think it would be boring. Like that's what that's my, that's my take. Um, but I. But it would be and, beautiful. It would be, it would be so boring. gorgeous it to would, look at. It would be And stunning. the
1: soundtrack would slap.
3: And it would be so angsty, like so teen angst. Um, I would love to adapt Sleeping Beauty. Because these maleficent adaptations are these maleficent like you know movies are like in my in my opinion like total garbage like I, I just like it's all CGI and like there's no like real imagination in it like there's no like invent there's no invention within the story and like the original Sleeping Beauty like is just completely like there's so many different versions of it that are completely different from the Disney version with the Disney version which took a lot of creative liberties.
1: So what would your take on Sleeping Beauty be?
3: I don't know. I probably like... It would I be mean, gay, wh- obviously. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> the whole thing is she like pricks herself on a needle, right? So, like, so maybe, maybe she ODs. Like, I actually think maybe. there's...
1: I think there is a Sleeping Beauty... Retelling that's like kind of about
3: no, that. maybe it's not. Maybe she doesn't OD. I think that's too dark, too like queer cultural commentary. Like maybe it's like she's getting a tattoo, and um the needle's not clean, and she gets an infection. She maybe gets a it's topical, she gets a topical infection.
1: Maybe it's basically like my year of rest and relaxation, but it's like <laughs> kind of my sleep. It's kind of Sleeping Beauty esque and she wakes like, up. She and does and she a lot reala- of pills. <laughs>
3: she went yeah but she wakes up after 1 year and she realizes that you know the invention of the workforce is like the destruction of like our 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 world and that like we have to fight capitalism like that's like the uh, no i'm just kidding that would be so boring but like literally she's had like i think the original in the original her name is like Talia or
1: something like that which is a great sleeping beauty name. no her name is Aurora
3: no i'm saying in the original her name is Talia like Aurora Are you sure? Yeah, it's, it's Little Briar, they say, like, Little Briar Rose, and, like, in some of the earliest appearances of this story, which I think date back to, like, fifteen the 1500s, yeah, the Sleeping Beauty is named Talia. Oh. Which is kind of, that's a very chosen name. <laughs>
1: Totally, <laughs> I might actually know in. a trans woman named Talia.
3: <laughs> <laughs> I might know a Talia too, hun. Um, yeah, no, I'll have to think on my adaptation. Okay, um,
1: I I have mine.
3: Yeah, what would it be? I was you. We've already we've been throwing so many ideas into the pot here. What, what's so,
1: next? So a weird fairy tale that I always really liked is the Twelve Dancing Princesses. Are you familiar?
3: No, never.
1: Okay, so the Twelve Dancing Princesses is, is like. It's kind of lame. It's like one of those fairy tales that has like a very interesting setup, but doesn't conclude in a satisfying way. So Mm. there's this king and he has 12 daughters and um, they're like not allowed to get married for some reason. And every night he locks them into their room. Um, But every morning, the 12 princesses are exhausted and their shoes are like all beat up as if they've been dancing all night. And mm. so the king is like, okay, if anyone can figure out what the fuck my daughters are doing at night. <laughs> in they, these shoes. In, to these shoes. They, you know, they will get, like, whatever they want. Like, I'll give, grant them anything they want. And so this guy is, like, gets some kind of, like, cloak that makes him unseeable. It's like the invisibility cloak from Harry Potter. Mm. And he um, sneaks into the princess's room, which is inappropriate. Um, and finds out that at night they um, open a trap door in their bedroom and go out to like a lake behind the castle or whatever and these Mm. 12 boats come and pick them up and take them to a castle where they dance with 12 princes all night and then come back in the morning and um like the the guy who's following them he there's these three trees that they walk by one of them is gold one of them is silver i think the other one is bronze and he like picks these he like picks leaves from them to show the king like for proof um and so the story ends in this like very unsatisfying way which is just that he like tells on the princesses to the king, and the king's like, okay, well, you can have whatever you want. So the guy marries the eldest princess and then becomes the the next king. And it's, like, such a lame um, version of the story. Okay, so here's my adaptation. Okay, love. So the 12 dancing princesses, they're, like, they they live in a punk squat. And... (laughs) (laughs) I'm in,
3: continue. They live
1: in a punk squat. um, And... um, they the punk squat gets bought um, okay. <laughs> but they won't leave so they're like actually they're actually squatting and okay. so this sort of like yuppie developer um is decides to like infiltrate their oh the the squat to like get them out um, d- d- what
3: about squatters
1: rights damn well evil. i mean that's why he has to use you know um subterfuge uh mm. so he you know starts he like moves, he like starts hanging around and he's like, what are these girls doing every night? Because like, I can't find a reason to actually kick them out. And then it turns out that there's a secret basement at the bottom of the house where they throw raves and they're like raising money to buy the house back from the developer. Wow. And the shoe thing is like, they're all wearing tabbies. I don't know. Yes. Um, yeah, the shoes I was uh, kind of
3: waiting for the shoe spin. I was thinking like maybe they all work at like Aldo or like Steve <laughs> No, or they something.
1: don't work at Aldo. They don't have they jobs. all work at
3: Steve. They work at Steve Madden. They don't have they jobs. They're Steve
1: anti-capitalist. <laughs> so the shoe thing is like they go thrifting every day to buy new shoes cuz they like wear their shoes out dancing all night. Um, but so this this guy is like, "Oh, and they're not all they're not all, they're not all girls. Like they're all like no, of all right. all genders They're all, non,
3: they're all non-binary." <laughs>
1: and so the the Developer guy, like he starts going to the raves with them, and he's actually like really into it, and he becomes a DJ. Um, and I don't know. This is kind of spinning away from me a little bit. I
3: think we. I think no, no, no. I think we need to focus on the shoes. Okay, so <laughs> okay. the shoes. So it's about the shoes, right? And so maybe they're all. Like, maybe they're an organized crime group of like punk squatters that that collectively steal shoes from Steve Madden as a kind of Not trans wreck. No, because it has to be Steve Madden, because Steve Madden is the only one that makes, you know, shoes for, like, girls like me. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like, they're, like, D- like, Dillard's, Dillard's, Steve Madden. I'm not going to fucking, like, heavenlyheels.com or whatever, you know? I'm not going to go get some okay, blazers. Okay, here's like- what
1: it is. Is these girls <laughs> sneak out at night and steal people's essence packages? <laughs> <laughs> And then, except
3: Es except Essence does not have very inclusive sizing, unless you're doing, you know, the Tommy Dorfman for Simon Miller <laughs> collection.
1: This needs a little more work, but I think that there's something there. Yeah, there's I think there's something. There's something, there. there's something with Ray. <laughs> I I do think the basement rave is an integral part of the story.
3: But we can't forget about the shoes, Rose. It's right, an important part.
1: <laughs> it's like you know, someone they, will help us put it together. we're, yeah. we're gonna
3: we're gonna need to develop. This Maybe story. there's a
1: foot fetish thing in there somewhere. Uh, What is it about fairy tales and feet? Because like that's the thing with the original Cinderella is that the the stepsisters in the original story when the prince comes with the glass slipper to have them try it on. The first one cuts off her toes so her foot can fit into the shoe. And then the birds are like, look at the shoe, look at the shoe. And like the prince looks and sees that it's full of blood. And then the other stepsister cuts off her heel and puts in the shoe. And the birds are like, look at the shoe, look at the shoe. And the prince looks at the shoe and it's full of blood. And then the birds peck out the eyes of the two stepsisters. It's really fucking dark. Um, okay, between that and th- the fairy tale you were just
3: talking about, and Little Mermaid with, like... You the know, knives and, like, in her feet. Feel like fi- the knives in her feet, and, like, you know, the Little Red Shoes. Little Red like, Shoes. I think I'm there's... sure
1: the Beast from Beauty and
3: the Beast had a foot fetish, too. Yeah, that's the thing. is like, maybe Hans... Maybe the Brothers Grimm had, like, a, a foot fetish. Also, or maybe Hans also Christian Andersen had, like, a foot fetish.
1: Also, when you think about Beauty and the Beast, like, it's so fucked up. Because all that happened was the... Belle's father stole, in the original story, plucked a rose from the garden of the castle. And then the beast was like, okay, well, you're my slave for all eternity now. Mm -hmm. And then Mm -hmm. Belle comes and treats herself for her father's place because she was the one who wanted the rose. So it's, like, actually her fault. And she gets stuck with him for all eternity, gets Stockholm Syndrome, and then Mm -hmm. falls in love with him.
3: And she doesn't... Well, okay... I think we've talked about this. So in the Disney version, you know, he has to transform back into a human before she falls in love with him. But in the original, she falls in love with the beast. No, no, no. I'm she falls. Sure. No, what- she
1: falls in love with the beast in the movie. She says, "I love right. you" before he right, right, turns right, right. back into right, right,
3: the right. prince. True, 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 true. What I mean is that she doesn't commit to him as a be like only until he transforms into a human. Is it like a happy ending, so to speak?
1: Ew. And there's a ver-
3: there. Right, but what I'm, what I'm saying is, like in the original, I'm pretty sure there's an iteration where he stays the beast and they stay in love.
1: I would love to see that version. I think, I think Belle, if if after the camera stopped rolling, I think she's like, I kind of missed it when you were. I think she's a monster fucker, yeah, and that's actually what I'm in the saying. in the Emma Watson remake, which you know oof, oof, we don't i need mean that. i we did cry, I that. did cry when I saw it in theaters, but um whoa there's a little <laughs> there's a little moment at the end where like at the ball at the end when they're dancing, where the prince who is um Lord Matthew from Downton Abbey where he like growls at her, which is to suggest that he's retained some of his like beastly tendencies, and I would hope that um he still has, like, a huge monster cock. Um, Speaking of Beastly, have you ever heard of the movie Beastly starring Vanessa Hudgens? No? Is that an adaptation? Okay, yes. It's a Beauty and the Beast um, retelling that sort of came... With
3: Vanessa Hudgens! With Vanessa
1: Hudgens. It came out post-Twilight and is very clearly trying to capitalize off of Twilight mania as a lot of media... as a lot of culture was trying to do at that time and it's it's also stars Mary Kate Olsen who oh plays my God. who play okay so it's about this like rich kid in high school who's like very mean um and he's very mean to to Mary Kate Olsen who's just like a witch who goes to the high school and she ca- and she curses him to be ugly. And, like, he doesn't turn into a literal beast. He just, like, has, like, weird tattoos and scars and, like, a staple in his nose. <laughs> oh, um, my
3: God. And his, that like, is so... <laughs>
1: I know. And his rich dad sends him, like, sends him away to an apartment downtown. And there, this, the, like, Lumiere and Cogsworth are an older... Um, like Haitian woman who's um, not stuck as a clock, but her like children are are like back where she's from, and she like can't get them. And then like the Lumiere is played by Neil Patrick Harris, who's blind. Who plays blind, which is not appropriate. And like, he's, and like, he at several points in the movie is like, Yeah, I mean, you might be a beast, but I am blind, which is like my curse. And it's Ah! like so awful. And so then Vanessa Hudgens, who is Belle, her dad's a drug dealer, and the beast, quote unquote, like witnesses some kind of shady drug deal and he's like I'll keep your daughter safe and so that's how she comes to be like trapped in his apartment with him and then they fall in love and at the end of the movie when she like says she loves him after her dad dies I believe um, he transforms back into being hot again Neil Patrick Harris's blindness is um, cured so he can see um, and they go to Machu Picchu it's a very weird
3: movie. <gasps> I nothing that you said in that sentence I could have predicted, like <laughs> word after word, absolutely never. I'm looking also now at at like photos of Mary Kate Olsen with this like so weird beehive and so this so weird uh, this eyeshadow, Mama. I'm. I mean, dying, she was but,
1: kind of serving. Let's but like let's okay. Be
3: real. Let's 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 say something. This guy as the beast, quote unquote. He looks like he's just going to battle him.
1: Like he really, no, yeah, like, he looks, looks like he's going to unter.
3: Yeah, he looks like he's going to unter. Like he looks like a normal guy with like alt face tattoos and piercings. Like. Just giving, like, one of, like, he's giving, it's giving. He literally giving, could be,
1: like, an editorial assistant at Simon & Schuster, you know? It's
3: giving Suzanne Barsha's follies, like, <laughs> you know what yeah, I mean? Yeah, It's giving, like, I have, like, a residency at the McKittrick Hotel, you yeah. know? Like He also definitely
1: has a Prince Albert, for sure.
3: Yeah. Oh, for sure. And an OnlyFans. That, yeah. like, is really Which popular. Which I would,
1: I would, I wouldn't subscribe to it, but I would, I would yeah. certainly watch clips of it on, on Wait. PornTube.
3: I know you and I are already working on, like, another, um, you know, fairy-esque adaptation thingy, but, like, honestly, The Beauty and the Beast is really good for an adaptation. Like, I think but we should chase But it's so
1: this. done to death.
3: No, it's not. It's only been done by Disney. Like, no one knows what and Beastly And by Beastly. Is. <laughs> no one knows what Beastly no, is. I've never heard of Many people know
1: what Beastly is.
3: We'll see. We'll let the virgins speak on that. There was Um,
1: also The Beautician and the Beast starring starring Fran Drescher. (laughs) Which I've never seen. Why? What the fuck? It's not
0: good. It's
1: not good. (laughs) I don't remember literally anything about it, but I remember that it's not good.
3: Okay. Well, I think we should watch it. Because honestly, it's Fran Drescher. And we don't have enough Fran Drescher content before she came out as an (laughs) anti-vaxxer. She did come out as an anti-vaxxer. That's so unfortunate. (laughs) But like a real... Yes, she came out as an anti-vaxxer, but like kind of a really nice one because she, her whole thing is about like can't she has like the cancer schmancer? She has the cancer schmancer organization, and like her con, primary concern is like making sure people don't get cancer, and like, so she looks at like you know whatever anyways well no it was, was like, <laughs> it's
1: more about people she was like celebrating that sets because she's the SAG after president and she yes, yes. made a video where she was like yay now people don't have to be vaccinated to work on film and tv sets
3: yes finally finally inclusion for us <laughs> yeah again inclusion and diversity inclusion and diversity like, in disney is so important okay well <laughs> I'm so sorry to end on on the fact that Fran Drescher is... I know,
1: and 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 they they all lived happily ever after and unvaccinated. (laughs) Slide into our DMs at like a Virgin 4 2069, please... Rate us on Spotify, review on Apple Podcasts. You can also follow us at Like A Virgin for 2069. I'm your co-host, Rose Domu. You can follow me anywhere online at Rose Domu, And I'm Fran Torado. You can find me at Friend Squishco Anywhere you like. Like A Virgin is an iHeartRadio production. Our producer is Phoebe Onter with support from Lindsay Hoffman, Julian Weller, Jess Kranchich, and Nikki Etor. Until next week, see you later, virgins. Ciao.